tested on Wednesday night. All right, let's pray again. Lord, thank you for the great song. Thank you for the truth of the song. It's under the blood. Help us to never get over our so great salvation, our so great Savior. I pray you give us insight into your word now in Christ's name. Amen. We looked at John chapter 3, and our text verse is verse 34. For whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. And I love that phrase, the words of God, the word of God. What I really like about this portion of scripture is it talks about the words of God being spoken by the word of God. Jesus Christ, the living word, is speaking what is the written word. And one of these days, the things I look forward to most in heaven is hearing the word of God talk about the word of God. And so I want to pick up the scripture here and then just preach a a simple message in the the time we have called the words of God. And I think it'll be illuminating and helpful in our Christian lives. In our text, John the Baptist had been asked several times already if he was the Christ. If you remember from other portions of scripture, John the Baptist rose to great fame. People came from all over. Israel to be baptized of him. Even the Pharisees came. They couldn't ignore it any longer. The religious leaders, the political leaders had to come and watch John the Baptist baptizing everybody from what would be called religious people to the worst sinners in Israel. And I mean, he's just preaching the word of God. The Pharisees come to watch and he called them vipers and said, what are you doing here? I know that I know that you don't want this. I mean, he was just bold. He was exciting to be around. He was raw, and he had the power of God like a prophet hadn't had in Israel in many, many hundreds of years. So his fame shot through the roof, but then one day a man named Jesus came to be baptized of him. And he baptized Jesus reluctantly. If you remember the story, he said, Lord, I need to be baptized of you, uh, and you want me to baptize you. And Jesus said, no, we've got to do it to fulfill the scripture. And so... John baptized Christ. If you remember, the the spirit like a dove came down from heaven, a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God put his stamp of approval on Christ. John knew that this was the Savior. The next day, they see Christ walking, and John the Baptist with some of his disciples, his entourage, if you will, walking along. He points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And some of John's disciples go and start following Christ, and from moment John's influence and popularity began to go down and Christ began to rise exponentially that's why he said in our text he must increase but I must decrease and in our text we find that there's questions again and and John the Baptist disciples coming to follow him some were still sticking with John not fully understanding what was going on with Jesus and they said hey Jesus that guy you baptized now everybody's following him, and what are we going to do about this? And John told me, he said, look, I've told you I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Savior that you've been waiting on. He's the Savior, and God is blessing him because that's what needs to happen. And then from verse 27 down through verse 36, we find John the Baptist talking about Jesus. And I love this portion of Scripture so much. Some people get confused and say, well, John the Baptist taught a different gospel. 
than Jesus did, which is untrue. Uh, because we find John the Baptist actually was the one who was inspired to say, verse 36, look what it says. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's the gospel according to John the Baptist. Well, that brings a lot of things into clarity, doesn't it? By the way, I love that verse. I use that verse all the time. And I would say that to those listening today. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If you're born again here today, there's been a time in your life when you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've admitted you're a sinner. You've accepted the person of Christ. He is who he claims to be. You've accepted his work that, yes, he did die on the cross, was buried and rose again. And you're willing to believe in your heart that he died on the cross for you, was buried and rose again. Then you can be saved. You can be born again and have your sins forgiven. This is the gospel. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Oh, but wait a minute. If you've not believed on the Son. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. You're not only not going to see heaven, you have the wrath of God abiding on you. Think about that. The wrath of God. I don't feel any wrath of God. No, it's abiding on you. It is a condemnation that God in His marvelous grace is withholding you from. But a, a lost sinner is one heartbeat away from eternal damnation. They are one breath from everlasting hellfire. And it's only the very grace of the God whom they reject that is protecting them from that awful fate. One of these days, if, if a lost sinner does not see Christ as Christ and accept Him as the Savior, that wrath of God will fall on them. And they'll experience it for all eternity. Well, I think everybody should just get saved. I, I, don't, I do not understand it. I do not understand it. I'll never know how a person with a working brain could choose to go to hell. This doesn't make any sense. And the truth is, we know people that think rightly don't choose to go to hell, but sinners are blinded by the devil. They're not thinking straight. That's why we need to pray that God would rip those blinders off their eyes and the Holy Spirit of God would convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment and help them to see their lost condition and to see the available gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we find this beautiful context here, right in the middle of it, when John the Baptist is talking about Christ, because God had revealed all these things about Jesus, who is the Christ to him. He says in verse 34, For he whom God sent, talking about Christ, speaketh the words of God. Now it's certainly true that Christ spoke the words of God. We also find out later in Scripture, is the word of God. So I want to preach this simple message, the words of God. Just as we use words to communicate to one another, Almighty God uses words to communicate with us. And I'm glad he did. You know, there's other ways we can communicate besides words. For example, pictures. You know, we could have, if we didn't have words, imagine if every time that you wanted to communicate to somebody... You'd have to play Pictionary. You know, you'd have to, so your wife would draw you a picture, and it's, you're trying to guess, oh, what do I want for dinner? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, you're trying to draw a piece of meatloaf. You know, and how does, if you're not a good drawer, you're not going to eat very good. 
you know, the, the artist would be able to communicate well, but if you can't draw, uh, I, don't, I don't know. And you're trying to draw a chicken and it looks like some mutated, you know, animal from the ocean or something. You might be surprised what you get on your plate. But I'm thankful that we do have pictures and we do have images and they communicate. Of course, we've all heard the phrase, a picture's worth a thousand words. Pictures are very good about communicating. But I'm glad that's not all we have to communicate. We can use our hands to communicate. You know, and oftentimes we uh, use hand gestures while we're talking and just to communicate, you know, words. My wife, uh, she, in college, she could speak sign language, so sometimes... For summer classes and stuff, all the normal translators would be away, so she would uh, make a little bit of money by being a, a deaf translator in classes as, as the teacher would be up there teaching and, and speaking. She would be using the hands. Now, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I do know some of the baseball signs. You know, you want to steal second. You know, those types of things. But my wife could communicate very well with deaf people and some of you have that gift as well but it's definitely not easy to do especially for those that don't know it. we know that we can communicate through nonverbal communication you know 70 percent of all communication is nonverbal. you are not speaking right now with your words but each one of you are telling me a story and some of them are sad i mean <laughs> sad sad story because 70% of all of our communication is not with words. It's by our posture and our facial expressions and other things. One man went a step further, and he said of all face-to-face -face conversation, he found 55% nonverbal, 38% was vocal. He talked about the tone of voice and how things were said, and only 7% were the actual words used. So you know you can say, I love you. You can say, I love you. Same words. Here's what guys do. I told you I loved you. I wonder why she doesn't feel loved. You know? I told you that one. What are you talking about? Of course I love you. What you want to do is, of course I love you. You are the stars in my sky. You're the birds that... <laughs> you know, just get very poetic, all right? And if you can't think of something, plagiarize somebody else, all right? Wouldn't hurt some of us to some of us men to memorize a few lines of poems every once in a while. But we have all these ways we can communicate, but I'm thankful for words. I'm thankful for words because speaking words and written words are the most direct and understandable. It's easier for you to know what I mean when I can look at you and tell you what I mean using words that we both understand. It's fast, it's efficient, and it's understandable. And so even though words only make up a small portion of all the total ways we communicate, it is the best way to convey our thoughts, feelings, emotions, and desires to one another and to God. Uh, you ever notice in a text, sometimes you can say something in a text, but the you're losing a lot of that nonverbal stuff. Someone can be offended by something you said, but you didn't mean it that way. And it's because of all that nonverbal stuff that, that is missing. But I'm thankful the way God communicates with us 
we can understand what he is telling us because words are the best way to communicate. Now, God communicates to us in a lot of different ways. We know that God communicates to us through the images in creation. Uh, Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, mankind, are without excuse. So the Bible says, God has given us enough communication looking at the creation of the world around us that we are without excuse when it comes to knowing that there's a God in heaven and that he's higher than us and we are accountable to him. This is why it's, it's so uh, dangerous and why Satan has worked so hard to come up with alternative possibilities for the world being here. Uh, things like evolution and, and science falsely so-called where they twist the data to make it seem like, uh, boy, all this just happened by accident. <laughs> well, folks, if you believe that, then you're going to worship evolution. If you think evolution brought this all to be, then you're going to worship it. And I've literally met people who worship the concept of evolution. They don't believe in God. And then they'll worship it almost with a fidelity of, of some committed sense. Why? Because the creation is made to make you worship. It is made for you to look at everything that is, walk out and feel the wind on your face and the, 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 the warmth of the sun and the beautiful trees and the, the grass blowing in the wind and look up tonight at the stars and the sky and the moon and you say, wow, whatever did this is amazing. That's what it's made to do. But folks, God did that. To the point to where God says, nobody will ever breathe the breath of life and walk on my planet and be able to say, God, I didn't know you were there. So God communicates to us through images found in creation. God communicates to us through the law written on our hearts. Each one of us are born with concepts of right and wrong. Where do those concepts come from? Where does the idea of morality come from? One of the hardest things for atheists and agnostics to answer is where does this idea of morality come from? And they say, well, it's, it's just a law of the jungle. Men has evolved to, to do this or this or this. And it, it all just falls flat because there is a right and a wrong that people can agree on without being taught. It's wrong for you to take my stuff. It's wrong for me to take your stuff. You don't have to know what the U.S. federal code is, section 23-CVD. You don't need to know all that. You don't need to go to law school. You'd simply say, don't take my stuff. Why? It's wrong. Even toddlers know that. Somebody tries to take their toy. Mine. It's written in their heart. Murder's wrong. We all know that. And so the list goes on and on. There is a sense of morality that is built into humanity. Where did this come from? Romans chapter 2 says it's the law of God written on our hearts. Even though we don't know the law of God, the Ten Commandments per se, or exactly why things are wrong, and we might even be off some, our, our normal ideas don't fall right in line with God because they're corrupted by sin. But we have the concept of right and 
Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. So they don't know the law of God, but they're kind of living according to the law of God. Verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. So God communicates to us through this law in our hearts. We understand authority without being taught all the details of it. We understand morality without understanding maybe God's, God's exact way to do it. We have these laws written in our heart. And then God communicates to us through conscience. That verse 15 there talks about the conscience. God has given us a conscience, and the conscience is kind of like the umpire in our hearts. It's, it's what calls balls and strikes. It's our own perspective on right and wrong. But even the fact that we have the ability to say, I believe that's right and I believe that's wrong, puts us above the rest of creation. You know, wolves don't have that. Badgers don't have that. Mice don't have that. We are made in the image of God. We have a conscience. Now, the problem with conscience is it can be seared. And our conscience, if you do wrong long enough, it will no longer feel wrong to you. Does that make sense? You do it the first time, it's like, oh, man. You do it the second time, the third time, it gets easier and easier. Why? Because the conscience can be seared. It's not a foolproof communication, but it's just proof that God says, I am leaving you clues in your life that I am here and that you are accountable to me. It's God's way of communicating. I'm thankful God uses these three ways, but I'm really grateful that God went a step further. And God said, I'm not going to play hide and seek with my will or with my law. He said, I'm going to tell you exactly what's right. I'm going to tell you exactly what's wrong. And I'm going to tell you who I am and what I expect from you. Isn't that a blessing? I think that's important for every parent to do. Every parent should be clear cut. This is what our family, this is who our family is. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. These are the consequences if you break those. This will make me happy every time. This will make me upset every time. That's a good thing to do. Every husband ought to do that. Every employer ought to do that. Every leader should follow God's plan and be clear-cut and communicate what is expected without any ambiguity. And the way we do that is through words, thankfully. And God chose words to communicate with his people. Now, the phrase, the word of God, is used 49 times in your King James Bible. How many times is it used? 49. The phrase, the word of the Lord, is used 258 times. How many times is it used? 258. You get an A on your pop quiz. Now, we won't take time to go through all this. I've got far too much information to give you this morning. But just by way of introduction, we see in the Old Testament, the Almighty spoke to his people verbally. God spoke to Adam and Eve verbally and personally as he went to the garden and walked with them in the cool of the day. We see in Exodus chapter 20, God spoke to all the people in verses 18 and 22. And the people were so afraid, they said, no, let not God speak to us lest we die. We want God to speak to Moses and then Moses can tell us what God said. And God said, okay, if that's the way you want it. That's the way I'll do it. And that started thousands of years of God speaking to his people through prophets. 
then we get to the place to where God begins to speak to us through his word, through his word. I want you to turn to John chapter 1, and I want to show you the words of God. There's two things called the word of God in scripture. I want to show you what they are. John chapter 1, gospel of John chapter 1. Is this interesting to you? I think it's fascinating, and it really gave me an appreciation all over again for God's Word as we look at these things. John chapter 1, let's look at verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the what? Or I should say who. You see how the word there is capitalized? It's capitalized because it's speaking of a person. All right, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was who? God. God. So we're talking about a person. He was there from the very beginning, and this person is God. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So this word was involved in creation. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Look at verse Nine, this was that true light. So now he's gone from being called the word to the same person being called the light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. So this word came into the world, the creator becoming part of creation, but the world did not recognize him as the creator. Verse 11, he came unto his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. I love verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, excuse me, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And I love this. Who are we talking about? Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't that beautiful? So here we're talking about the living word. Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, the word of God, became flesh and dwelt among men. But they didn't acknowledge him. They didn't recognize him. He came unto his own, they his own received him not, but as many as received him, he made salvation available to all who would believe. And I love verse 14, the word was made flesh. Of course, we know through the miracle of the virgin birth, all who was God, the son of God, was made and and wrapped in flesh and became a child, the God man, 100% God, 100% man. How does that work? It's a miracle. We don't understand how it all works. We don't know God how how God did it, just add that to the list of all the other things we don't know how God did. By the way, if you could understand everything God did, you'd be equal to him. Most of us don't understand how electricity gets from the power plant to the lamp or the light bulb, but we know how to flip on the switch. And when it comes to Christ, you don't need to be able to understand everything. You just have to be willing to believe and to flip that switch and you can be born again by trusting in Jesus Christ. 
And as time goes on, we begin to grow and we begin to learn. And things like we're learning today, wow, Jesus Christ was the Word of God. He was made flesh. He's the living Word. Now, the Greek word here uh, in, in these verses, capitalized word, is the Greek word logos. It's the Greek word for word. But that word was, was meaningful to the Greeks because it also entered into a whole range of philosophies. When the Greeks talked about logos, they were talking about reason itself. They were talking about ways to communicate. The, the word logos can mean word, it can mean speech, it can be narration, it can mean expression. Heraclitus said that logos meant explanation or transcendent meaning. To the Greeks, it often talked about the, the, the explanation, the, the order of the universe, the, the logos, the underpinnings of everything that is. Plato and Aristotle used the term to mean discourse or rational explanation. They were talking about the structural, the structural foundation of meaning and morality in the world. And so when the Greeks talked about logos, it was more than just, oh, that's a Greek word for word. It, it's the meaning of everything. The expression, how do we explain everything that is and when God came to the world and said, in the beginning was the Logos, and he was made flesh and dwelt among us, he's saying that Jesus Christ is the meaning for everything. He's the creator. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the creator. He's the savior. If you want to understand the world, you have to go to the Logos, which was made flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus Christ is the ultimate expression of God to us. He's the ultimate communication. God's best attempt to teach us about himself was to become a man and live among us. And Christ, the living word, began to live before men the eternal word of God. Christ lived out the truth of God's word to perfection. He was the physical embodiment of the word of God. And this living word spoke God's eternal word. The word speaking the word. Isn't that a blessing? The word logos is also used from Christ in one of my favorite portions of scripture, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 13 says, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the living Word. He's God's greatest communication and explanation to mankind. Jesus is the answer. Let me finish up by saying this. Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. The Holy Bible is the written Word of God. Folks, you understand for most of American history, most Americans believe that the book that I'm holding in my hands was the Word of God. For most of European history, 
most people believe that the book we're holding in our hands is the Word of God. For all of Christian history, Christians have believed that the book we're holding in our hands is the written Word of God. And when you begin studying, it's only the last 150 years or so where people have sincerely begun to doubt whether this is God's word. So you hear someone say, oh, that's just a book written by men. You know, nobody would have said that 200 years ago unless they were, like, insane. Now people want you to believe that you're crazy for believing this is God's book. And you've got to understand, for thousands of years, they were the crazy ones. This is... God's work. And Satan has worked very hard the last 150 years or so to try to convince people, not just the world. Of course, sinners have always looked for a way to get out from underneath God's, God's oversight. But really, in the last 150 years ago, these concepts got into seminaries, especially beginning over in Germany and Europe and making their way over into America. Now, some Christians believe we don't have the word of God. If, if, you, if a Christian doesn't have the word of God, then how do you claim to be a Christian? <laughs> you know? And they want to pick and choose which verses should be in there, which verses should be in there. Let me just say that that's further above everybody's pay grade. Because somebody went to college for, uh, for four years and then got a, a master's and then took a, a couple, uh, got a degree in, in Greek. Now they are the, the judge and jury about what God meant to be in his eternity. Folks, you, you just got to settle. The, the translators of the King James Bible, almost 60 of the smartest men on the planet at the time, were speaking Greek when they were 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years age. And you've got a guy who took four semesters of Greek trying to teach you that this isn't God's word. We've got to get past that stuff, right? We, we, we can't fall for that stuff. This is God's word. God's word is eternal. Psalm 119.89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's written word is inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. God's word is preserved. God decided to preserve his inspiration. God knew that he couldn't trust mankind just to... to translate it right and transcribe it right. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, we don't believe the Bible. You know, it may have been right in the beginning, but man, it's been so messed up over the years and so many mistakes. God didn't leave the preservation of his word up to sinful men. He decided to preserve it himself. Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. What does that mean? From this generation and all generations, God said, I will preserve my word. We know that God's word is an every word Bible. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. So folks, when you, when you begin to study the word of God and you begin to see how God communicates to us, it's very easy to give God thanks. God, thank you for loving me enough to communicate to Thank you for sending your son to be the ultimate communication to save my soul. Thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to giving us 
to give us your thoughts in writing. We never forget them. They're not misconstrued. Second Peter chapter 1 says that the written word is more trustworthy than spoken words. We have the word of God. By saying this, my wife has a box, like a toolbox or a tackle box, probably stole from me at some point. I mean, I, I lent it to her, I'm sure. And inside of it, she's got all the love notes I wrote to her when we were dating. I'm sad to say I cannot put my hand on one of the love notes she wrote to me. Pray for us. Yeah, Swan's like, you're in trouble. And, uh, thankfully, she knows that I'm a man and was not thinking about those things. But she's got this box. I was in the closet the other day, and I saw the box up on the closet. As I was looking at this message, I'm, I'm so thankful that we don't just have the spoken word. You know, I, I can't remember everything I said to my wife. I can't remember all the romantic things I said and, and how explaining my love for her. But because it's written down, the written word is better than the spoken word because it's tangible it's protected and it's available and God gave us his written word and it's protected it's tangible we can put our hands on it we can see it with our eyes and it's still relevant to us here today Amen. all of us have a greater appreciation for the written word of God Father thank you for the truth Pray that you'd help us now as we look at the word. Help us to have a greater appreciation for it. And of all the ways that you could have communicated to us, you kept going another step, another step until we have your written word. And I pray we'd do our best to read it, to study it, to preach it, to teach it, to pass it on, to live it. And thank you for it. 